welcome to the Eclectic Readers Book Club on Sunrise Robot, where anything we read is predictable and nothing we say is censored. My name is Susan. My name is Jeanette. My name is Tara. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey. So this is our first episode of the Eclectic Readers Book Club. Very exciting. <laughs> yes, so very exciting. exciting. <laughs> so why don't we talk a little bit about ourselves book-wise? Um, so... We'll um, mention genres we like to read most, uh, favorite book ever, and first book you remember reading. So my genres, I guess, is more fantasy, graphic novels. Um, I'll read others, but those are the ones I kind of gravitate towards. Anna Green Gables is definitely my most favorite book ever. A series. Which is neither a fantasy nor a graphic novel. Exactly. I was just thinking that. <laughs> but it's, it's it just is. I love it. <laughs> and uh, the first book I remember reading is Charlotte's Web, which is that's fantasy. So there yeah, you go. <laughs> talking animals. I'll, I'll take it. Exactly. So those are my three books. All right. Well, I'll read just about anything, but my favorite is definitely sci-fi and fantasy. You know, I wander away from it to, you know, lower the nerdiness, but I can't help it. I have to come <laughs> back. <laughs> and um, my favorite book ever, if I have to choose, which is kind of impossible, but if I have to choose, I'd go with the Narnia series. I love it. I Good could reread it choice. over. I, can't, I couldn't get sick of it ever. It is really brilliant. It's amazing. Um, and the first book I remember reading is... Little Bear, and specifically Little Bear's Birthday Soup. And I remember that very specifically. That is really specific. I only remember it because my parents didn't didn't believe that I could read. And so they made me read the whole book after I read Birthday Soup because they thought I I had just memorized it. Oh. (laughs) That's amazing. It's really funny. Uh, So, hey again, my name is Tara. Uh, like most of these guys, I'm a huge sci-fi, fantasy, comics, YA, that total nerd. I love all of that stuff. Uh, give me a good dystopia any day. Uh, <laughs> also a huge Shakespeare freak. Uh, but you are. Can't, can't help an English major. What are you going to do? Um, so my favorite book ever, uh, to use a favorite quote of mine, and if you can name it, anybody out there on the interwebs. I will send you a book. I will send you something if you can tell me where this is from. Uh, Except the word books is not in the actual quote. Okay, there we go. Uh, Books are like a bell hung within my heart. It would break to pieces at once to name one by its name. I really feel that way, though. Like, for real. I I can't pick a favorite book. Um, And for the first book I remember reading, uh, that's actually really hard. Uh, This is going to sound like really childish, but the only thing I remember about it was that it was definitely about a unicorn <laughs> and that it had a tapestry of some form in it. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's all I've got for you. But There's like a ton of stories of the unicorns with tapestries. I know! <laughs> unicorns <laughs> and tapestries, they kind of go together. Yeah. They do, and, there's so, and, I, and, and guess what, guys? There's also a maiden. I, I oh, know. shock. I know. You're kidding. <laughs> but that's like a real I'm... live maiden? Like a real live maiden. <laughs> is, there, is there a prince or a knight? I, I don't know if there... I don't think so. It's about her. It's about her being awesome, and she's blonde, though, which, 
as a brunette, I think maybe threw me off, but the, probably why I remember it so much. <laughs> well, back but, in the day, I figure like the quintessential maiden is always blonde haired. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it weird. I, it is. I, I think maybe it also has to do with, you know, in 1984, My Little Pony came out and Megan, the only human character, was blonde. So I think a lot of books at the time uh, with horses had Megan lookalikes. Uh, Makes sense. I think that was one. Yeah. I think she always reminded me of her because she also wore her hair in like a long braid instead of like down, which somewhat Megan-esque. Also quite oh. specific, even though you can't remember the book. I know, right? <laughs> oh, oh, hey, oh, hey, lovely viewers, guess what? I love My Little Pony. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now that you know a little bit about us, um, let's talk about the Eclectic Readers Book Club, guys. Um, we've been together for five years. That is amazing. We are on our sixth. Yeah, we were teeny-weeny. We started with three members. In one city, I might add. <laughs> and That's then, no longer a thing. Yes. Now we're about 10 active members, and we're literally all over the country. So that is pretty amazing. There, I don't know if there are many book clubs that can say they lasted over five years and all across the country. So And like 10 moves. Yeah. Good job, guys. <laughs> so true. Oh, and how many weddings? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, almost everyone's at yeah. this point. Yeah, I would yep. say like 80% of the... Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been through a lot, and we're still here. Yay. <laughs> Woo. Um, and we have read 60 books, or almost. Our next month is our 60th, right, Jeanette? That's right. That's, oh, seriously? Yes. Yes, Gilead that's is our 59th. Amazing. Yeah, so ah, that's, that's pretty a huge awesome. Anim- that's great. Yeah, that's it's cool. awesome. Yeah. So, uh, so at 62, we'll be at six years, right? Yes, yes. somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. 62, yeah. 64. Yep. Yeah. Some of that. So that's pretty amazing. Um, and why are we the eclectic readers? Because we can't choose. Because <laughs> we read everything. We do. That we is do. so true. I can't even. You look through our shelf on Goodreads and you just you can't say, oh, these people only read, you know, sci-fi or they only read YA. We literally read everything. We've read YA. We've read plays. We've read short stories, um, thrillers. Autobiographies. Yep, autobiographies. That's that's a huge range, and I think that's that's what makes this club so amazing because I like to read all sorts of things. You kind of get tired reading the same thing over, you know? It, it helps, like, to take you out of your comfort zone, too. Like, I would read all day, like, anywhere between adult and YA fantasy if left to my own devices, pretty much. And maybe, like, the occasional Shakespeare play I haven't read yet. And, and like, that's, that's all I'd read. And this club has, I mean... Bonk. Let's use Bonk as a great example. Ooh, yeah. Uh, Bonk is a great, uh, what is it, nonfiction? It's a nonfiction Yes, yeah, nonfiction. Yeah. It, it's an excellent book I never, ever would have read. It's hysterical. Same here. I would have not read a lot of the nonfiction books that we've read, but a lot of them are really interesting because I'm like, well, nonfiction is kind of boring, you know? Jeanette, do you want to tell our listeners what Bonk was since it was your book? 
Definitely. I was just about to say that for those who haven't read it, Bonk is a book by the science author Mary Roach. And it's a book about basically the science behind sex and sexual encounters and chemistry and things like that. So it has a lot of different facts about sex throughout history and sex around the world and what kinds of things people think might make you more fertile or <laughs> less fertile. It's a really interesting book, but Mary Roach, as a science writer, has a way of writing these facts so that they're not dry or not simple facts. They're just hilarious. Um, so it's a pretty, um, pretty hilarious book if you haven't read it. I would not suggest reading it on an airplane. <laughs> I read it and people kind of looked at me funny when I turned to my then boyfriend and started saying, hey, do you know that in some place they eat bull's testicle testicles for fertility? <laughs> and there's our uncensored piece for the day, guys. <laughs> I'm sure there's more to come. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that's amazing. And I love this group so much. I do too. Great. And I love I'm, you guys. I'm super impressed that, you know, when I talk about our book club to different people, what makes them kind of stop and really look at me in amazement is the fact that we live everywhere and we do this all online and we make it work. And we are constantly reading different things, moving, getting married, going through our life stuff. And we make it work all across the world. Once or all across the world, all across the country. <laughs> Soon the, the world. world. <laughs> yes. All across the country once a month to just sit down and talk about reading. So yeah, We're and awesome. to give to give the guys uh, who are listening some idea of exactly how widespread we are. I'm in Florida. Susan's in Colorado. Jeanette's in DC. We've got re- we've got readers who come in from Boston and Austin. Uh, oh hey, nice alliteration. Right? Nice rhyming. Same thing. <laughs> uh, not the same thing. I know the difference. Again, English major. Uh, <laughs> So Boston, uh, but the point is Austin. <laughs> pretty much all over the country, uh, and, and to the point where people have even like logged in from their campsite once or twice. Uh, we've got a pretty dedicated core group, which has been a really amazing experience over the years. Yes, definitely. So, which brings us to why are we here now? Why do we have this lovely show? Um, there are a few members who can't join us every once in a while. You know, life definitely comes up. So, you know, we thought, hey, why don't we start a podcast? That way we can discuss a book. And if one of the members want to listen in on it, then they have a chance to. And then we figured, you know, the rest of the world, you guys might be willing to or interested in listening to what we have to say with the different books that we like to read and talk about. Because so, I think we have a pretty compelling uh, discussion. <laughs> Sometimes really compelling. Sometimes borderline combative. <laughs> yes. <laughs> True. <laughs> Occasionally we have been like, so we all hated it, right? Yes, but oh, then we just bash yeah, the right. book sorry about the whole that. hour. And then, and then that's what we do. And, and then we just bush book bash yeah. as much as possible. Sorry for those, sorry for those authors. <laughs> but we have done that on occasion. Yes, we have. <laughs> we'll try to make this a positive listening experience. <laughs> <laughs> but like we said, uncensored. Yeah, there you go. All right, so that's us. So before we get to our book, um, why don't we talk about some other general books here? 
Okay. Well, why don't we talk about book bingo? What is that? <laughs> uh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this is our second year playing book bingo for. People who have never heard of Book Bingo, you should check out the Retreat by Random House website because that's where I found the Reading Bingo card last year. But after sharing it with friends, we all decided we had to play competitively, including every single one of our Eclectic Reader members. So this year we had to play it again. And to spice it up, we made our own bingo card. And we also expanded from 12 players to 18 players, which is insane in its own right. Very crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, the card has 25 squares like a traditional bingo card and the one in the middle is a free square but the rest all have different book descriptions on them and some can be kind of vague like a book by a female author which is what you know half the books that are being published today um, but others are a little more specific like a book released in the year you were born um, like our book club members, our bingo players are located around the country. So each time we read a book for a specific category, we log the title and a picture of the book cover in this awesome Google Doc that one of our players created. And, and that was Michelle, and it's amazing. It is amazing. Um, and no, we're not spreadsheet nerds. It's just a really, really cool looking doc if uh, anybody ever Michelle gets a chance to see it. Michelle is totally a spreadsheet nerd. Yeah. She is. <laughs> and that's why her. she creates brilliant things. Exactly. Yeah. Because the rest of us, because she's an engineer, and the rest of us are English people, and that is not the way our brain works. Pretty much. <laughs> um, so we start playing on February 1st, and our, by our rules, none of the books can be books you've started before then or rereads, and you have to read one book per square. You can't double up, even though it's a fantasy and by a female author. Sorry. Makes it trickier. Yes, and we are kind of uh, picky about our rules. Like, if you have to read a book published this year, it has to be 2015. Even though we've only been in 2015 four weeks before Book Bingo starts, deal with it, find a book. I always wait a little longer for that one, because it's like, then more books will be out that I can choose from. True. Thank God Holly Black released a book this year early on. That's all I said. I was like, ooh, hey, Holly Black, good. <laughs> I personally was really excited because there were two books that I wanted to read that were released this year, and they were already both out by the time Book Bingo started. Um, so, you know, it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, so we play in three rounds. In the first round, you have to get a line of five straight across, just like in regular bingo. In the second round, you have to get a second line that intersects with the first somehow. So a T or an L or an X. And in the third round, you have to black out your card, which is a whole lot of reading and should take a whole lot longer than the first two. Especially since one of the squares is a book over 500 pages. Exactly. Yeah, that, was, that was horrible. Yeah, but we had some really mad, dedicated readers this year, um, and Tara was the winner of our first round. Woo! And not only that, I'd like to point out to the entire internet that Tara did this within 24 hours. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Literally it was, it was, 24 hours. It was like 36. That's still kind of. one weekend. <laughs> yeah, I started reading Midnight on Saturday night, which is really Sunday, and got book bingo, I think, Monday morning. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, easy. <laughs> Not crazy. Dedicated. In a good way. Dedicated. <laughs> Dedicated. 
I could have said crazy. <laughs> but again, positive experience. And both are correct, though, gentle <laughs> listeners. Yes, both are correct. Both are correct. So, but we have someone who blocked out their card already. I know. Because Michelle is a beast. She is. is. That's just crazy, guys. Yeah. February Before was the month barely was over. Even over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was mm-hmm. kind of crazy. Last year, it took us two months to get a full blackout winner. So, I, Someone suggested to me, and I don't know how you all feel about this, and maybe this is an offline conversation, but I'm going to put it here, so whatever, uh, that maybe we dictate that once you've won a category, you can keep playing, but you can't win the prize. You can win the accolades for finishing first, but you can't win the prize. That would be an interesting kind so of way, way to more, keep it spicy. Yeah, like so it. like you get accolades, everyone's going to support you, and you're going to definitely be the person known as finishing first. But if the same two people or the same three people are in the running for every single category, it gives a third person, you know, it gives other people time to catch up to get the get, get a prize. Well, potentially. Yeah, we can definitely do something yeah, like that. We should talk about that when we yeah. update our rules next year. Yes, definitely. I like that yeah. idea. Maybe we should have another Google Doc for book bingo rule suggestions. A Google Doc for a Google Doc? <laughs> Always. Yes. What is this craziness? <laughs> this is how we live our lives. Oh, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Well, so since we're discussing book bingo and, you know, things that worked, things that didn't, what was everybody's favorite book bingo category? Mine was a book that became a TV show. Uh, when, what did you read for that? That one I read, which is actually down on another topic we're going to discuss, is um, called The Midwife. It's a BBC show. Ah. Um, yeah, it was really interesting. And then just seeing all the TV shows that were books that I had no idea. You know, like Pretty Little Liars. I had no clue. <laughs> yeah, that one surprised me, too. It actually surprises me how many TV shows out there that are based on books. Right, yeah. But does it really surprise you that any... I'd be more surprised that if any of the CW shows were not based on books. I mean, I don't watch a lot of CW, so, and I think Pretty Little Liars is an ABC Family. Is it show? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Oh man, I totally thought whatever. <laughs> Pretty people, teenagers. I mean, that's like the CW. Well, Vampire Diaries. I knew that was a book. You can tell I don't watch it, right? <laughs> if I don't even know what network yep. it's on. So yeah, well, but- I come from the CW days when it was actually WB, and all the pretty teenagers were not based on books. I mean, as far yep. as I know, Dawson's Creek, That's, not right? a book. That's true. I mean, Joss Whedon was also a part of that, so. Yeah. Back in those days. <laughs> those were awesome days. Yeah, I so, day. yeah that, so that was, what, that was why it was my favorite category. It's super interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. What about you, Tara? I'm going to be annoying and say fantasy only because <laughs> only because it gave me a chance to read a book that has been on my to-read list for a few months, which is Lev Grossman's uh, The Magician's Land, which was the third book in the Magician series, which is like, if you haven't read it before, guys, it's essentially if Narnia and Harry Potter had an adult baby from Brooklyn. That is... Uh, the Magician series, and it's so amazing, and it's very aware, and it's hysterical, and it was a very fitting end, and happier, happier than I thought it would be 
to the series. I'm kind of surprised by that because I read the first two. I haven't read the third yet. And the first two, especially the second, are kind of dark. Oh, they are dark. And and this one isn't not dark. It is. It's less. It's less dark in the. I, I'm trying not to give away stuff to the people who haven't read it. It's less dark in the way that the first two are dark. Um, it's more grown up. You know, Quentin, the main character, is like 30 in the book at this point. Uh, horrible things still happen to him because that's what happens to Quentin. Um, and Quentin he makes has bad to, choices. <laughs> it, it's not just in this book. I'll give him the credit. It's not all his fault. Oh, good. <laughs> this this time. Um, and it, it's just, it is a fitting end, but it does end much more happy than you would think it would, given the, the previous two books. But it's it's good. I'm going to miss it. I am. What, what about you, Nat? I have to say that the thing I love most about book bingo in general, and this is why this is my favorite category, is a book at the bottom of your to-be-read pile. Because anybody who's seen my Goodreads knows that my <laughs> to-be-read list is insane. And what I try to do when I plot out my book bingo, yes, I plot out my book bingo. I think everybody does. That's the only way to attempt to win. It really <laughs> if you is. don't do it, you can't win. But I just like go through my to-read list and I just find books that fit each category or books I think will fit each category. Fortunately, I haven't screwed up yet. Um, and even though this year, the book at the bottom of my to-be-read pile was not my favorite, like I like that about it, that I get through these to-be-read things. And sometimes you got to dig at the bottom to find something really good. So that's my favorite. That's my favorite category. Oh, that's yeah. a good category. My, my, I also liked the book I read for that, for the to be read pile. What did you read for that one? I read uh, what we talk about when we talk about Anne Frank, which is a collection of short stories that I thought was going to be for my Pulitzer Prize uh, category, but it ended up. It was only nominated. It didn't win. It wasn't good so, enough, Tara. My bad. It's totally good enough. It wasn't good enough uh, for the square. <laughs> uh, the square denied it. Uh, so I had to change last minute. Uh, but it was like, it's been a longstanding book on my Goodreads tab. Um, and it, it's really, it's a really powerful book about religion in general, not just Judaism, although there's a lot of Jewish short stories in it. But I think it's not very... You know, it's a thing that any person who grew up in a religious household could understand, uh, or even somebody who grew up with a religious family but was secular. There's a lot of stories about that as well. It's just, it, it it's a really good read. I enjoyed it a lot. Sounds like a good one. I really enjoyed the diary of Anne Frank, and I was really fascinated with her. Um as a child and i remember specifically a line from the book where she asked like who would ever want to read this you know the diary of a young girl and i think that diary has been so impactful so i'm sure there's a lot of good it's one of the discussion. most circulated books in all of history right so it's funny how people don't imagine how impactful they can be you know, and when they turn out to be, you know, such an influential fe- 
feature, uh, figure for so many people. It's I'm getting all emotional over here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's both books are really good. If you haven't read it, the Diary of Anne Frank, go read that, and then go read what hap- what we talk about when we talk about Anne Frank because the first story is really hysterical and then very off-putting very quickly and has to do with Anne Frank and I I don't want to ruin it for you guys so go read that because it was great yes ma'am <laughs> good <All right>. job <laughs> how about let's move on from our emotion and talk about some personal triumphs from book bingo anybody I have won any? the first round <laughs> you did win the first I round I did the first round. it was amazing we start that weekend and then Monday it's like I got a bingo. I'm like, what? <laughs> Very impressive. <laughs> and I only lost the second round by literally a handful of hours. And I I would have won if I hadn't had... So, gentle listeners, I'm moving. Or I have moved now, but at the time, I was packing everything up and trying to uh, close on a house. And I had like a nervous breakdown that night. And did not get, <laughs> I was just like, I'm not reading. It's not happening. Um but I was so close to double win. So uh, note to self, if I decide to move, hire movers and keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is obviously the course of action. <laughs> Moral of the story. Gotta have your priorities correct, you know? Yeah, yeah. Reading first. Exactly. Closing on a house. <laughs> Way second. Way second, yeah. I'm sure your fiancé would agree. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'll just have him do everything. What was I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, What about you, Susan? What was your personal triumph? That I read five books before Michelle won. (laughs) 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 And I got to say, it wasn't a bingo because I kind of had to speckle my my reading here um, because I am in other book clubs, so I had to read those books as well. Um. So they just kind of, I just put them in where they fit on the board. Um, but still, the fact that I read five books in a month is pretty incredible. So um, I'm very proud that I did that. And for people who don't know Susan and think if somebody can read 24 books in a month, why is Susan reading five books? You have to understand that Susan has a baby girl that is adorable. And if you had this baby girl, you would spend all your time staring at it. Or at her, I should say, instead of at, at the book. It. Yeah, it's, I it's was a- thinking book, and I said it. Sorry. <laughs> it's pretty hard to read with a toddler playing in the same space as you. Because she continually wants my attention. So I only ever get like one swipe before I have to like go back and play with her. <laughs> she is so cute though. It's totally worth it. Yeah. She's adorable. So I did I try to read. That you read it all. Yeah, tried to read with her in the room, but uh, it didn't quite work out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So yeah. If you if you ever see Emily, you'll understand the adorableness. She's pretty great. <laughs> What's your triumph, Jeanette? Um, that I finally read T.S. Eliot. Um, it has been my goal to read more poetry in general, but T.S. Eliot in specific for years now, After ever since I had a dream about T.S. Eliot, which is a weird thing to dream about when you're not an English major, which I'm not. 
So Welcome to my crazy world. Right. So I had a dream about T.S. Eliot, and I thought, this is a sign I need to read T.S. Eliot. And when I saw the poetry category on our bingo square, I thought, this is a sign I need to read him now. And I read him, and I didn't understand half of what he was trying to say. <laughs> but it was really beautiful writing for writing that I'm not sure I got. Well, at least you're able to enjoy the reading yeah. part. I mean, it's beautiful. <laughs> T.S. Eliot is one of my favorite poets. You should absolutely read him. He is brilliant. He was a rock star poet of his age. I, I don't have enough good things. Maybe we can do a whole poetry section one time, guys. I think that would be really fun. That that would be on you, Tara. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> Tara and I have been going over T.S. Eliot since I read him. And it turns out you can get a lot more of T.S. Eliot than you think you're getting. Um, I got a lot more out of the first poem I read by him than I thought I got. But, you did. Yeah. You were so unsure, and you totally... I, I thought you did a really good job with it. Thank you very much. <laughs> but yeah, I, he's worth reading for just the beauty of the language alone. I think, anyway. <laughs> I totally agree. All poetry is worth reading. True. Not everyone would agree with that. <laughs> I think words are worth reading. Like... That sounds weird. But books, poetry, plays, words put together are worth reading. That is the deep comment for the day. Yeah. Right? We're checking off all these. (laughs) All right. We're checking off some lists. Let's check off another list. What's your favorite book that you would not have read without book bingo? Call the Midwife for me. Um, like I said before, it's a BBC show, it's a memoir and it, I don't read a lot of memoirs. So even though I was interested in reading the book, I don't think I really would have taken the jump and read it, you know, to fill up my square. So this was a great opportunity to read the book and it was really fascinating. I loved it. You guys should check it out. The book and the show. They're both good. Yeah, I've heard good things about that book. Um, I haven't watched the show, but I've heard good things about the show either. And I see the commercials on PBS all the time. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, unfortunately, it's three seasons. But, you know, there's three good seasons. It's really good. The amount of crying. Oh, man. <laughs> well, BBC seasons are short. So, yeah, or that's shorter. True. So. Yep. What about you, Tara? Uh, the House on Mango Street, which was... Like 130 pages and by far the quickest read so far for me in book bingo. Um, I read it for the category a book published the year I was born, which for the record was 1984, the best of years. Sure, sure. Uh, (laughs) uh, I never would have read it. You know, I've heard other people talk about having read it when they were younger. Uh, It's a short story book about... uh, a girl from an immigrant family in New York, I believe. And it was, I, I just, I just really, really loved it. Um, I, I, I thought it was really well done. The stories were really interesting. Uh, I, I get what everybody was talking about now and I never would have picked it up. So I was happy to read it. Yeah. That was my book for the year I was born too. Copycat. <laughs> Hey, I Googled that first. Um, But no, it was the way um, 
Sandra Cisneros, who wrote the book, the way she uses language is also really pretty. And she, um, like she does a lot with very short stories. There's a lot of emotion in there. She does. And like things I think she's going to pick up on in later stories. She doesn't, she just leaves behind and other things she carries through. And she does a really good job uniting the narrative in very interesting ways. Uh, yeah, she she really does have a great and beautiful handle on on the language type that she uses. It's really it's really good. Yeah, I agree. Well, I for my favorite book that I've read because of Book Bingo, I picked something from last year, actually, and that's cheating. <laughs> I didn't say it had to be this year. <laughs> You guys just assumed. And you know what they say about that. Um, <laughs> I know what I'd say about that. Mm. <laughs> well, I haven't finished my book bingo yet this year, so I ha- can't pick from this year yet. But last year I read for the category of a forgotten classic. I read the book Evelina by Fanny Burney. And basically, Fanny Burney is supposed to be, from the article I read anyway, is supposed to be like this pre-Jane Austen. Um, and it, show, excuse me, it shows in how she writes Evelina. Like, it's very witty. Evelina is very, very naive. And she's navigating like these social circles in the 1700s. And it's very, very funny, but at the same time, very sweet. So if you are a Jane Austen kind of person, you should definitely read Evelina. That was a really interesting category last year, the Forgotten Classic Square. It was. Um, It was hard to find a book for mm -hmm. it, though. Yeah, it really was. So that is going to be my favorite book I've read specifically because of Book Bingo until, you know, I finish this year's Book Bingo, probably. Which brings. So I think that's. Oh, sorry. Oh, what were you going to say? I was going to say that I think that brings us pretty well into the book that was my least favorite to read for Book Bingo. Um, It's also the book we read this month for the ER Book Club. uh, And that is Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. So uh, just a little info on what that book is. Um, It's a book that's essentially a letter or a memoir uh, for the legacy of one John Ames, as he remembers his experiences with his father and his grandfather in a, like I said, memoir or letter to his son to be read at a later date, because he is a very old man, and he is dying, and he's leaving a very young son, and he wants his son to know him, essentially. And what really comes from it is uh, this sort of confession begins to unfurl as you read this book, uh, about his relationships with other people in the town. Uh, I'm I'm just going to start off and say I didn't much care for this. The language is beautiful, but I didn't much care for it. Uh, What did you guys think? Same. Um, I didn't didn't capture me, you know, but it was really well written. Um, It was very slow, so it was kind of hard to stay on it. You know, um, but yeah, I completely agree with what you said. Yeah, I think that the way 
um, Robinson uses language it is. It's really beautiful. It's a nice kind of steady emotional read if that's what you're looking for. And I think had I been the right audience for it, I would have thought this is a book I really love. Um, I think you need to kind of be looking for that emotional read or have a tap into that emotion because it is a letter from a dad to a son and I'm neither. So I didn't get that kind of emotional response from it when he's talking about the legacy he's leaving behind to his son. I was like, okay. I was like, that's sweet. But I mean, I can relate to that though. Like I can relate to the idea of legacy and to the idea of needing to pass something on, regardless of the fact that I'm a girl or not. The issue for me was that while that was a really nice idea, it quickly becomes, you know, this sort of, and not even to tell all because it doesn't, it's just so boring. (laughs) For a legacy, you're passing on this like idea of who you are and the idea of who your family is and all this sort of stuff. And and while I can think of things and stories that were interesting in the time I read it, what what is easily all of 256 pages, it feels like 500 page book. There's only maybe 50 pages of that that's legitimately compelling. And so, so I don't know what that says to me about your legacy. Yeah, I just, I feel like he was uh, trying to leave this legacy, but he kind of didn't really lead an exciting life, you know? <laughs> Which is fine, <laughs> you know? I, I mean, he could have. But he didn't know, really his- talk about it. He talked about mostly um, his family and him being a reverend, right? He was a reverend? Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, and and so he kind of went through the theological side of the things he thought throughout his life and how that may have changed. But it's not, you know, compelling like like his grandfather was in the Civil War, you know? Yeah, he was racist. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... It's all of these things where other people did these things, but he never did anything. You know, his big accomplishment, I feel like, to life was following his dad around looking for his grandfather's grave. That was kind of bizarre. And and that was like the only thing he really physically did. You know, other than that, he lived a good life. He married a woman before the woman he's married to now. She died. He never thought he'd get married again, he got married, had a kid too old, he's dying. Like, that's, with the exception of what happens later in the book where you find out about this backstory, which, again, he did not do, but with John Ames Jr., the other reverend's son, um, and his issues, it, it becomes a book about, you know, the past and retelling of the past and accepting people, but it happens at such a glacial pace that by the time we get to it, by the time we get to the issues of like John Ames Jr., you kind of think maybe he wants to sleep with his wife. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. By the time you get to all of that, it's, I just don't care. Yeah. (laughs) All that does take place in the second half of the book. Yeah. Yep. And that to me was the most interesting part was his interaction with John Ames Jr., and uh, 
the reveal. Yeah, and his jealousy towards him. Like, I can hear you and your mom with him on the porch. You all are laughing. I wish I could be out there. But I'm just going to sit in here and write this letter and stew about it. Because I'm old. <laughs> and I'm going to join your mother and you on the, in the porch now. And I listen to you all talk. And then I fall asleep. And I'm not really sick, though. I'm just sort of listening. And I can tell that your mother and him, they talk in a certain way. And That is totally how, how the that. book was written, by the way. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, Marilyn Robinson. <laughs> this is my version of book, book bashing. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. You write beautifully, but it's boring. Right. I mean... The problem with this legacy that he's supposed to be leaving, and I, that's why I say I don't think I am, or probably any of us, apparently, are the right audience for it, is the book is set in this time period where your legacy is your family line and your honor and your responsibility. And the fact is, he maintained his honor and his sense of responsibility by not moving out of his town by not going places and doing things by staying put and being the pastor of this church, which while noble in its own right is not, it's not, you know, edge of your seat tight stuff. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I was going to say, you started out that description. I was like, that that's Mulan. You're describing Mulan. And then you're like, <laughs> someone who doesn't leave. And I'm like, oh, well, she doesn't get married and and settle into a life of honorable wife. So I guess that would be that version of events. Well, there's different ways of um, accepting your honor and responsibility for different time periods, different people. And that was his role his way of doing that in his time in his life. I mean, it wouldn't be that way for us, but... Yeah, I don't think he ever regretted his decisions, you know? He never said, oh, I wish I saw more of the world, you know? No. Like, he was very happy with where he is. And he's happy with the impact he's made. You know, he he feels like he lived for the people of the town, and he dedicated his time to them, and he feels that's a worthy endeavor, and it is. It absolutely is. It just doesn't make for a compelling read for me. I mean, so I totally appreciate where where the author is coming from and the desire to write a book like this. And I totally agree with Jeanette that if if maybe I was older or if maybe I was... No, I'm going to go with older. Maybe that, that I would be, <laughs> this would be more my cup of tea and I'd understand and relate to John Ames more. But because I just, I, I don't see myself as that sort of person and I don't have children yet, that it just, it doesn't grab me in any way. Susan, does it grab you as a mother? Like, from that perspective. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. And honestly, um, I understand the legacy part. I understand like wanting to leave something of you to your children. Um, I just don't think I would have written a huge 200 page letter, you know? <laughs> um, you know, I would probably, 
And if I did, I, I feel like I want to leave something like, these are the experiences that I had experiencing the world. And I think that's the difference here is that we all want to experience the world. We have all these like huge ideas of what our life is going to be. And John Ames, he was very, I don't want to say small minded, but he was very like small, small town mentality, you know? So him staying where he is and telling his son of, his experiences living and being uh, a reverend in this small town is what his legacy is. So he thinks it's the most interesting thing in the world. Um, and for us, it's not so much. It's very sweet. You know, you can tell the love he has for his son. But I think that might be one of the reasons where I'm just like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> but- All right. So we spent a lot of time talking about John Ames. Let's talk about John Ames Jr. Ugh. <laughs> Susan has an opinion. Uh, what was your first thoughts when you when you saw the character or were introduced to the character? From my scoff, you can tell I didn't like him very much. <laughs> um, he just came out so arrogant um, and very. What's the word I'm looking for? He was a jerk. Um, <laughs> You know, he he was like the hooligan, you know, the suave guy like, oh, I can do anything I want. I can get away with it, you know, and that's like my first impression of him. It wasn't until later where I was like, I kind of feel sorry for you. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was trying. He, he definitely gave the sense, you know, I'm trying to do something here. I'm trying to reach out of myself. But he's so focused on himself and the things that people are thinking about him, things that people are saying about him, that it's very, it's almost condescending the way he approaches people because he's like, hey, this is what I have to say about this. And this is what you're thinking about me, isn't it? It, He's telling people how they're feeling and then walks away. It's... It's very frustrating to read how he's trying to interact with John Ames because, of course, then John Ames is sitting there saying, well, I sat there and I thought about it. And I wasn't going to tell him that he was wrong because that's what I was thinking. But I didn't like how he said it. And I'm like, come on, people, stop (laughs) thinking so much and start communicating. Just say something, anything. Say something, I'm giving up on Exactly. <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Everything explained in song. Um, I, I could do that. Okay. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, the very first time I met him, I'm like, oh, he's totally going to sleep with John Ames' wife. Totally going to happen. Because, gentle listeners, there's like a 40-year-old age difference between John Ames and his wife, and which is gross. I find it gross. Anyway, um, and John Ames Jr. is like right there, and they have this flirty sort of understanding. Hey, you've hard had tar- you've had hard times. I've had hard times relationship, and I was like, uh, he's totally going to try to get it in. I mean, this guy's dying. Anna, that was just that's honestly my first impression. <laughs> and I'm like, well, and no one, and John Ames doesn't trust him, so. There's a reason he doesn't trust him, though. Remember, he talks about the pranks that John Ames Jr. pulled on him, like stealing his stuff. Yeah, stealing his stuff is kind of 
one step beyond prank. Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff he did really was like, you know, kid prank stuff. But going into somebody's home and then stealing their stuff in front of them, I think is a step beyond prank. That that was pretty awful. He was like 15 at the time. True. And it's a, and it's a small town and he knew John Ames would forgive him. Because, by the way, John Ames is his godfather. Um, <laughs> so he knew he would forgive him. But, yeah, it's not really not great <laughs> of, of the character. Again, you don't like this character. Everything you know about this character is that he's some sort of hooligan rapscallion who doesn't care about anybody and certainly doesn't care about John Ames. Who is the character you've just spent a stupid amount of time with listening to him rattle on? So you feel at least a teensy bit annoyed on his behalf. And the thing about it is that I really thought that what John Ames Jr. was intending to do was to kind of, you know, repent or find God or repair his relationship with his father or something. And that as a result of that, he'd end up marrying John Ames Sr.'s wife after John Ames died. And that's where I thought this story was going. But he didn't show any signs of intending to repent. So by the time we got to the big reveal about what he wanted and what he was doing, I was kind of, I was kind of done with it. I was like, you're not here to do better. Go home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and by then you found out, and I mean, I'm going to tell everyone here, you find out why John Ames Sr. is so upset at John Ames Jr. And it's because he got, while in college, a young girl. By young girl, I mean like 14, right? She was young. younger. She was a teenager, yeah. Yeah, younger teenager, 12 to 14. 14. Yeah. Yeah. Pregnant. And essentially abandoned the child with the mother who, you know, family did not have a lot of means. And the child, as a result, ends up getting sick and dying, uh, which is something that weighs very heavily on John Ames Jr.'s family, his father and mother and sister primarily, and on John Ames himself. Uh, and John Ames never forgives him because he never seems to care, which is really a horrible thing when you think about it. You know, I, I think it gets brought up later in the book and John Ames Jr. says something along the lines of, you know, we all make mistakes that you wish we could undo, but they're done. Like, that's his feeling on it. It's something that has plagued John Ames Sr. for his entire life. But to John Ames Jr., it's just... It's something that happened. It's in his past, and he's moved on from it. And I think to add to that, I mean, I think you also have to understand that John Ames Sr., he had a young wife, and his wife died, and he had a young baby, and his baby died. And to John Ames Jr., this is all in his past, and it's just something that didn't work out. But to John Ames Sr., this is a reflection of, you know, I had this baby and you had this opportunity and I would have killed for that opportunity and my baby didn't make it and yours died of neglect. And I think that weighs way more heavily on 
John Ames than he even admits in the book. And I think that is partially what makes John Ames Jr. such a difficult character. Because if you understand that feeling of, hey, you just took that for granted, what I would have killed for, you're like, how could you how could you not think that way? It's a total lack of empathy on the character's part, which is very frustrating. Definitely. The character in general seems to lack empathy. And I'll give, so to, to Marilyn's credit, and I'll give her this, her characters are people. I do like that. Like, it, yes, Jeanette, totally. If this was like a book that needed a pretty bow at the end, that's absolutely, your take absolutely should have happened. He should have repented. He should have made peace with John Ames and with his father, with his past. And then he should have, we should have had some sort of epilogue seeing him marrying John Ames Sr.'s wife and being a father, a true father to a child. And that would have been a fitting end, but that isn't the end that the character needed. The character as the character is portrayed. Yeah, and I think I think it's actually pretty brave to not go that route. It must have been very hard to choose against that, you know. But it works so much better than you know the cookie cutter ending. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> Depends it, what it, you're it looking does. for. <laughs> well, well, the end. In the end, you find out that you know he's into this black girl that he met, and her father hates him, and he's dealing with all of these other feelings around how to accept love in his life after not really having accepted it before. In a way, that is a type of repentance. He does choose not to... What does he choose at the end? He leaves on a bus. He leaves on a bus, but to go back to her or to not go back to her? Doesn't say. Yes, it's left ambiguous. I... And that's... The optimist in me wants to believe that he does go back to her or goes to find a job so he can look for her. But I mean, I know there are different takes on that end. Yeah, I mean, he can totally just go off somewhere else and ignore it. You know, that's kind of been his M.O., you know, until now. So what, you know, just because he loves this one woman who has his child, will he change his mind? You know? Right. So I do think that I'm going to move off of John Ames Jr. I mean, not completely. Y'all can bring him up again. Um, but I want to talk about race in this book in general, because I do think there was an interesting parallel between the half, the first half of the book, the second half of the book, and how it deals with race. And because in the first half of the book, you find out that his grandfather was a racist and that his father wasn't much better. And that while he's not a racist, the only black church in town burnt down and everyone moved away. He never really thought too much about it. And then you find out later in the book that John Ames Jr. wants to marry this black girl and wants to have a family with her and that he's worried about what everyone would say. And John Ames actually says to him, you know, bring her here. Why wouldn't you bring her here? And he's like, no one would accept us. There's no other... There's no other races here. And that's when John Ames really looks around and sees that. Uh, so in your opinion, what 
you know, what do you think is up with race in this book? Because there isn't, they don't, she, well, in general, the author doesn't draw distinct, obvious parallels. But what do you think she was really trying to say with that? I think it's interesting, actually, that an entire race of people disappears. Basically, they get up and move out of town. And nobody notices until John Ames Jr. comes back and says, there's no black people here. And John (laughs) Ames looks around and he's like, that's true. And um, I think it says something about the way some people look at the world. I mean, some people look at the world and all they see is race and other people don't. And it's if you're living in a society, which he was a small town that didn't have other races in it. If you're living in a society where you don't have that kind of diversity, you don't always recognize it in yourself. And I think a lot about this book was John Ames Sr. recognizing various things in himself and trying to come to terms with them uh, and him seeing that John Ames Jr. couldn't recognize things within himself to come to terms with or improve himself. And I think that's just another sign of that is he didn't even recognize the fact that he hadn't noticed that all the race went away. Yeah, it, it's funny because the first half of the book, they really, he really does like say he's almost apologizing. He's like, "Yes, this was how my family was, but it's not how I am." And I helped, I offered to help rebuild the church, and I, I've, I've cared about the black people in this community. And it takes till the other to the second half of the book where it's like, "But there are no black people in the community anymore." There were. And he probably did care about them when they were there. Well, wasn't but then there, they went away. Yeah, a part where they talked about uh, building a part of the Underground Railroad through the town. Yes, they did. Yeah, so you can definitely tell that they were trying to make things work. But I think, like I said, after the church burned down, they just kind of were like, meh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just kind of like, okay, we'll just go our own way. See ya. No harm, no foul. Yeah, nobody was hurt. Nobody died. It wasn't, I don't think it was anybody's intent other than the people who burned down the church, but I don't think it was anybody's intent to drive, you know, black people out of town or to be racist. I just don't think they recognized in their town that there was a sudden lack of diversity. And I don't think they recognized that this is necessarily, you know, different or, you know, a problem if, you, if you're comparing it to another place in the country. Well, I think you touched on something really interesting there. You said that someone burnt down the church. It wasn't until like three-fourths of the way into the book that John Ames even admitted that maybe someone did it maliciously. Like, he just assumed it just sort of happened. He know, said something someone, about it being a prank or something at some point, uh, he, even. He said, like, maybe it was a prank, maybe it was a wiring issue, maybe it was... Like, he, he gives a whole reason in that they never really know why it occurs. Right. You know? And and, and then, like, you know, it, it, John Ames Jr. again points out to him, like, 
you know, like that person who set the fire, you know, drove them all out. And that's when he realized, like, oh, maybe it was more malicious than that, which I think is, it's this, like, passive, all right, I'm not a racist, but I'm not doing anything either. I'm not actively attempting to confront or battle the idea of racism either. I just think it's it's interesting how he divides it up in his mind. I wonder if it's another reflection of how he sees things. You know, he just sees things in a certain way, like, oh, the black people are gone. There they went. And he assumes that's how everybody else sees things too. I mean, very clearly, John Ames Jr. is treated as other in this small town. Um, So there's definitely a sort of town kind of mindedness. And I think as the pastor, somebody who's responsible for kind of shepherding these people, he assumes people will think like he does. And it doesn't occur to him until John John Ames Jr. puts it in front of him that that's not the way it is. They drove out the black people. So, all right, we've touched on race. Let's touch on gender. (laughs) Uh, We've talked a lot about the men. And in a way, women in this book are defined by their relationships by men. There's John Ames's dead wife, John Ames's current wife, um, John Ames Jr.'s sister, John Ames's, John Ames Jr.'s general women. But, but there, there aren't really, they don't stand well, most of them, at least, as standalone characters. How do you think women are portrayed in this book? And do you think it's at all harmful? I don't think they are portrayed in this book. I mean, I know I made a joke, but it's, I made it based on truth. Um, There's really, like, one and a half women in this book when you put the pieces of all the women in this book together, because none of them is fully characterized. Even John Ames' wife is characterized only vaguely, you know. She showed up, she came again, she told me that I should marry her, so I did, and now she wants to read my sermons. That doesn't tell me anything about her. All it tells me is that she didn't have religion, and then she found religion and married her pastor. Yeah, just there isn't enough to go on. Um, they're just kind of like, kind of in the background. Um, and I guess in during that time, it's kind of how women were portrayed, you know? Um, they're, women folk are just kind of around or as support. Um, so even though, you know, John Ames loved his wife, it wasn't like, I don't know, he didn't like, she, she wasn't a huge part of his life in a way, you know, but she tries really hard to understand him, like reading his sermons. Um, so it's just, they're just quiet. You know, they don't say much. So just basically, I don't know. I don't really have an opinion on the women. <laughs> I think Lila is by far the most fleshed out woman. And that, that's his second wife. Uh, is that's her name. Um, only because there's this hint of other, you know, there's this hint, there's this hint of something else going on with Lila, that her life was difficult before 
they met that she's in the way that she's prepared to lose him. Like I've had nothing before and having nothing again won't bother me. Don't worry about me. There's some strength in her. Again, it's a little though angel on a pinhead for me in a way, but there is some innate strength in her. It's, but it's still not a character. You know, she doesn't do anything. No, she's very, very passive in a sort of general sense. I mean, she makes decisions. She makes more decisions than John Ames does. But oh, that's not hard. Exactly. Um, she doesn't have any personality. Um, the only thing we really know about her history is that she didn't have a lot any religion and she didn't have a whole lot of education. And she's dedicated to improving herself at this point. But other than that, we don't know why she didn't have that education. We don't know why she wants so much to improve. You get a hint that it's because of her son, but you don't even have a definition of her relationship with her son other than they play outside a lot with Jack Jr. It's a very sort of empty, yeah. empty spot. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was bad, just incomplete. Very incomplete. So, Tara, what are we reading next month? <laughs> well, next month, gentle listeners, uh, if you want to read along with us, we are going to be reading The Miniaturist by Jesse Burden, uh, which I'm excited because it's been on the bottom of my to-read pile for a bit. Uh, so that should be a really good discussion. I'm excited. Very excited. <laughs> All right. Well, that was our discussion on the Gilead. That was a really interesting discussion, guys. <laughs> um, for for any mentions of books or any books that we've mentioned, uh, just go to our show notes on our website. And guys, where can people find you? Tara? Oh, gosh. I don't know if they want to find me. Uh, <laughs> but if you do, on Twitter... Um, I was an early adopter, so it's actually my name, at Tara Newman, T-A-R-A-N-E-W-M-A-N. Uh, and you'll find me on Goodreads. Just go to our show page. All of us are up there. That's probably the easiest way to find me. Um, yeah, that's that's probably it. Say hey. <laughs> Jeanette? Well, if you're daring enough to look for us, you can find me on Twitter at... D-R-J-E-A-N-N-E-T-T-E. So that's Dr. Jeanette. And on Goodreads, either at the our show page or at my personal page, goodreads.com slash JMT Rivera. Right. And you can find me, Susan, on Twitter at Duri Kaichel, which spelled R-U-R-I underscore K-A-I-C-H-O-U. It's back in my anime days. <laughs> and Goodreads, I'll be under Susan Lyons. And Google Plus, I'll be Susan Lyons. Um, so, you know, give us a shout out. We love to talk about books. Love it. We really so, do. Any books? Yeah, if you have, and if you have any categories or books you want us to cover or any ideas for parts of the show, feel free to hit us up there. Uh, we'll, we'd love to hear your comments. Definitely. Please do. And, um, well, let's shelve this. Until next month, guys. All right. See you then. Bye. Bye.